Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Salatu vesselamu ala seyyidil mursalin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in. Amma ba'd. Inşallah we're looking at zakat today. The way I propose to do this is normally I, I do it as a workshop on the board where we just explain the different concepts. However today what we'll do first is we'll go through Nurul Idah, the chapter on zakat, familiarize ourselves with the concepts here and then we'll practically go through it as a workshop either next week, meaning the next session or the session afterwards. It's a very brief chapter in this book anyway, in the Nurul Idah of Allama Shurumbulari. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Kitab zakat the book of zakat. As you know, the word zakat is very difficult to translate. They translate it as different things, almsgiving and uh, uh, charity, obligatory charity and so on. You know what zakat is and I think that's uh, a word that needs to be used in English. Just like the word salat, you can say prayer, but prayer means different things unless you understand the context. So zakat needs to be zakat. The importance of zakat, I'm sure everybody is aware of being one of the pillars of Islam. The benefits of zakat are many in the sense that when a person earns money, when, when a person has a source of income, it's very difficult to ascertain that every cent of the income is pure. This is one of the benefits of zakat, is that a person's income is purified. Because we don't know all the time where our income comes from. We sell something, if we're in business, we sell something. Someone may be paying us with money which was gained through haram means. We don't know that. As long as we don't know that he, he stole the money, as long as we're not aware of that, it's okay to accept money from whoever it is and not to question that unless you have a reason for, you have a preponderant opinion about it being haram. So anyway, we're not going into that discussion right now, but the point is that it's very difficult, especially nowadays, especially nowadays, to, to be able to ascertain where our money is coming from. You must have heard stories about the pious predecessors of how they avoided certain foods or certain sources of gifts and incomes because they just felt it was tainted. They would find it practically impossible to live in our time when we don't know where we're getting paid from. But it's not an issue. It's not something that we need to stop working because of, right? We have to be careful though, and we have to be scrupulous to the best of our ability, but it doesn't mean that we drop our jobs. I'm just saying that zakat is one factor which helps that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it such that it purifies ourselves, it purifies us of the sins that we would accumulate for not paying zakat for one thing. It probably reduces many of our uh, evil deeds because all good acts, they eliminate bad deeds. It purifies our wealth. It takes away from any factor that will draw calamity. Uh, there's a hadith which is actually very clear in this regard that as-sadaqat tutfi'ul balaya and as-sadaqat tutfi'u ghadab al-rab that the sadaqat, the charity in any way which is for example either the fard charity which is zakat or voluntary charity nafil sadaqat this number one it protects the person it prevents the balaya, the, the calamities from coming to a person and you know that a lot of people when they feel that there's a lot of bad things happening to them, things are going wrong, they say, hey, we should give zakat, we should give sadaqah. When someone becomes ill in the house, they go and drop a few dollars in a sadaqah box or something. And this is perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine to do that. Because the other hadith says that charity calms down the anger of Allah. And sometimes calamities, many times calamities that come upon us are not tests to make us endure and give us a higher place. Sometimes they're actually to teach us a lesson. Sometimes they are the influence, the effects of our sins. So this really helps. So it purifies our wealth, it calms down Allah, it keeps away, it calms down the anger of Allah, it keeps calamities away and purifies ourselves and our wealth. 
and then the monetary benefits, the economical benefits of that I don't even need to discuss because the poor need to be supported somehow. This is just Allah's nizam and way in this world to make some people rich, make some people poor, make some people in between and to have the poor live from some of the wealth of the rich because it's all given by Allah and Allah tells us to distribute it and He puts everybody in a different circumstance to see how they will live and how they will endure in this world, how they will act. If everybody was the same and everybody had the same source and way, then it would, uh, it would not be a great test because everybody would be the same and you'd have to, basically everybody would have to do the same thing, right? It would be much easier to find out who's out of line. Nowadays, the world is such that everybody is different. Everybody, no two people's state is completely the same, the same. So each person has to have his own challenges and it's a personal struggle. It's not a community struggle all the time. If everybody was the same and they had to go through the same struggles, it would be different. Right? It won't be as much as a test as each person to himself and Allah. Right? So it's very different. So zakat is part of that. You know, like the questions come up that if God is merciful, then how... This question comes up all the time. If God is merciful, then why does he have so many people killed in earthquakes and in bombings and whatever have you? Well, the, the whole question is that if you're, if you're hung up on that subject, Allah does things through his wisdom. Right? If you're hung up on that subject, then why don't you just question the concept of death? Why did Allah create death in the first place? And the fact that everybody believes that they will die, this is something which nobody, uh, nobody re uh, refutes. Dying. Dying in itself. It's just people die in different ways. So it's not against the mercy of Allah. Who knows that people who die in earthquakes don't enter into paradise faster than others? Who knows that they're not shuhada? Who knows that they're not martyrs? Right? And that they're better off now than they would be. So Allah is the only one who knows these things. So zakat is a way of kind of reaching equilibrium in, in the society. And this we can see not only in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, but in the time of Amr ibn Abdul Aziz, that in two and a half years, just by one thing, by just justice and distribution of wealth in a just way and zakat and everything, he managed to make everybody wealthy in a way that they could not accept zakat in two and a half years. In just two and a half years he brought such a change. So we know that it can work. There's some fundamental flaws in our system today due to which this cannot happen. Now, going back to the fiqhi aspects of things which this class is about, the first thing Allah Shurambulari talks about is the definition of zakat. He has a special way of doing it, a very succinct, right, but comprehensive, very short, comprehensive, to the point description. هي تمليك مال مخصوص لشخص مخصوص فرضت على حر مسلم مكلف مالك لنصاب من نقد ولو تبرا أو حليا أو آنية أو ما يساوي قيمته من عروض تجارة فارغ عن الدين وعن حاجته الأصلية نام ولو تقديرا That's the description. This tells us one concept in zakat which is very important to know the word tamlik. Zakat cannot be considered to be discharged if you do not make somebody the possessor of the zakat that you're paying. For instance, if there's a number of poor people in the area and what you do is you have a big meal cooked, you know, even if it's a big five course meal or you have it catered and you invite all the poor people to come and eat twice a day or something for three days or whatever and the money you spend in doing that you consider to be your zakat this will not be considered zakat right a slight change in that 
could make it zakat. If you had those meals packed and then given to each of the poor people to go and do as he wished with it, to go and eat it at his leisure or give it to whoever it was, made him the possessor of it, then your zakat would be discharged. The first thing is where you just kind of invited everybody to partake. Now they could eat as much as you want, even if it's eat as much as you want. Even if it's like that, it's not the same as making them the possessor of a fixed amount of either food, wealth or product or some merchandise. So tamlik, which means to make somebody the possessor and the owner of, that's very necessary, otherwise the zakat is not discharged. The same would also apply when you have to pay a kafara. Tamliku malin maksusin. To make somebody the possessor of a fixed amount of wealth. Alright? Lishaksin maksusin. To a particular person. Now it has to be a particular person, it can't be anybody. Why can't it be anybody? Because there's only eight categories of zakat. There's only eight categories of recipients of zakat. إِنَّمَا الصَّدَقَاتُ لِلْفُقَرَاءِ وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْعَامِلِينَ عَلَيْهَا وَالْمُؤَلَّفَةِ قُلُوبُهُمْ وَفِي الرِّقَابِ وَالْغَارِمِينَ وَفِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَابْنِ السَّبِيلِ One thing that most of these share, one is fuqara, second is miskin, faqeer and miskin. Basically both of these are the same in the sense that they do not have a minimum, they don't have the quantum of money that is required to, to have to pay zakat. There's something that they call nisab. This is another concept. Now number two, nisab. Nisab is a quantum. It's an amount. It's a particular amount. It's about $140-$150 based on the value of silver nowadays. Or it's about $800 to $900 based on the value of gold today. In time of the Prophet وسلم, and for some time after that, the value of 20 dinars of gold was equivalent to 200 dirhams of silver. However, over the years the values of each changed and became very far apart. Till today, 200 dirhams are worth only about 130-40 dollars. And 20 dinars, 20 gold pieces are now worth, based on that amount in, in ounces, are worth about $800, right? We will always go in zakat whenever there is a, an issue of which, what to go with in two opinions or in two possibilities, then the underlying governing factor of zakat is ma yakunu anfa'lil fuqara. Whatever is more beneficial for the faqir, for the poor person. You have to give them the benefit. So in the case where you've got an issue of should I go with gold or should I go with silver? If you only have gold that you have to pay zakat on, then you're going to measure it only with gold. But if you have anything else like cash or silver and gold jewelry, then you will have to go with whatever is more beneficial for the faqir. And that in this case it will be silver. Because if a person has $140-$150, let's say he has $300, he is responsible to pay zakat based on the nisab of silver, but not on the, not on the quantum of gold because he hasn't reached $800 yet. But because it's beneficial for the poor person, he'll go with the nisab of silver. So that's nisab. A person who doesn't have that amount, that's the differentiating factor between a person who has to pay zakat and a person who can receive zakat. So a person who doesn't have $140-$50, he can receive zakat. You have a person who has a small amount of money, $80-$90. You have someone who doesn't have any money at all. So faqir and miskin. You might wonder why there's two words, they both mean very similar things. 
one of them means the person who has no money at all, empty, empty, complete pauper. And the other one means the person who has some money but it's not enough to be the quantum. Which one means what? The Hanafis say that the Fakir means the one who has a small amount of money and the Miskin is the one who has nothing and the Shafis say the opposite. It doesn't really matter. Okay, because it doesn't really change the command in any way because they're both recipients of Zakat. Fuqara wal Masakin, Wafir Riqab, which means to free slaves. To free slaves. You can use Zakat money to free slaves. Wal Ghari mean in the path of Allah. These are those people who are in the path of Allah. These could be considered to be students, could be considered to be those who are fighting in the path of Allah, Mujahideen, or it could be anybody else who's out purely for the sake of Allah. Right? But these all of these categories have to be poor. The underlying factor in this is that they have to be poor. Just being in the path of Allah wealthy doesn't mean you can take zakat. You have to be poor. Wabnis Sabil. Wabnis Sabil is actually a wealthy person but who is away from his wealth at that moment and has no way to get his wealth. For example, a person went to another city or another country and mashallah he lost all of his credit cards and his American Express and checks and everything and phone numbers and everything just has no way to get around it he can receive zakat although he's wealthy back home but he has no way to get it so he's called Wabnus Sabil the son of the way the son of the path he can accept zakat so he's poor at that moment he doesn't even have to pay back unless he wants to the person's zakat is considered discharged whoever pays it to him we missed out al-amilina alayha Amilina alayha, now understand this carefully because a lot of people misuse this to take zakat money nowadays. Amilina alayha means those people who are employed to collect zakat. The point is that the only organization or institution that can set up a collection of this nature that can actually force people to pay their zakat is an Islamic government. An Islamic government, meaning a khilafah or a Muslim ruling system. And they can pay those who are working, traveling around to collect zakat from people, they can pay them their salary from the money collected from zakat because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said so. So this person doesn't have to be poor to be able to be a recipient. So he's excluded from the others who are recipients of zakat. However, today you have these relief organizations and some of them, not all of them, but some of them may follow another opinion which they take to say, that since we're also collecting zakat and we're an agents for this between the person giving the zakat and those who are receiving the zakat we're like amilin alayha but if it's an independent organization it does not validate them to take zakat as a means of working their company or institution organization travel expenses so you have to be careful when you give your zakat to different relief organizations ask them do they use zakat money for salaries, for instance, unless they're set up by a government, by a Muslim government. This is basically people in the beginning of Islam that had entered into Islam. The Prophet gave some of them money from zakat. Again, these people don't have to be poor. This is another ex exception. The reason he gave it to them is to bring them closer to Islam. You know, people liked wealth, for example, so to keep them Although afterwards Umar radiallahu anh decided that there was no need to do this anymore, Islam had become, mashallah, elevated. It was its own force now, it was standing on its own feet. There was no need to basically pay anybody to remain Muslim. I mean, it's not like paying them to become Muslim. They're already Muslim. This is just to strengthen them. They have the belief in their heart, but this is just to strengthen and make them feel better. 
So it's not that if you don't give them, they're not going to remain Muslim. So remember that it's not actually buying somebody's faith. Because that has to come from the heart. Whether you buy it or not, it has to come from the heart to be valid. So if you recall, غَارِ مِينَ وَفِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَبْنِسَبِيلِ So these were the eight categories of people that you can give zakat to. So that's what he refers to when he says to give particular specified amount of wealth, which is 2.5% of your total savings of those things which qualify for you to pay zakat on above the nisab to these eight categories or one of these eight categories of people. Now another thing which I have to discuss here is the concept of fi sabilillah, giving zakat fi sabilillah. Now I've told you if you look in the tafsirs, the description there will be people who are in the path of Allah either fighting in the path of Allah or they are studying in the path of Allah and they are poor, poor students, poor people who are fighting. Nowadays there's a fatwa that came from one scholar who's considered to be a big faqih in the century saying that fi sabilillah can be broadened taken to apply to masajid and Islamic centers. Meaning organizations, especially in the West, or especially in non-Muslim countries, who are trying to promote Islam and trying to help out. Because there's very few people who actually donate regular charity to this kind of organization. So sometimes we need to use zakat money, that people, because people would more willingly give their zakat money, because they have to take it out anyway, to use that for propagation and to strengthen Islam in those countries. Now the point is that this was never done by the predecessors across the board. There's no, there's no opinions of that in classical, from the classical scholars, especially from the four imams. And it's just something that came up recently. And unfortunately people are doing this. And when many masajid have fundraisers, they say, Oh brothers, give us your zakat. Sisters, give us your zakat. Right? It's very wrong because zakat money, as you know, is basically the wasikh. It's the dirt that you have to remove. That's why even the sayyids, the, those people who are from the family of the Prophet ﷺ are not allowed to take zakat money even if they're poor. Even if the family of the Prophet ﷺ is poor, they are not allowed to take zakat money. This has just been prohibited from them. That's why once when Hassan or Hussein anhu, when he as a small child picked up one of the dates from in the room, it was lying around, and he put it in his mouth, the Prophet ﷺ pulled it out. And he said, I fear that this may be left over from some of the dates that came in as zakat and I had to distribute. So he didn't let him eat it. He said, it's haram for us to eat that. So if it's not even good for the Prophet's family to have that, then a masjid, which is the house of Allah, why would you spend that? Even the Quraysh, the polytheists, in the time of the Prophet, when they built the Kaaba, they made sure that they had legitimate funds that were like pure, pure. That's why they made the Kaaba smaller than it was supposed to be, because they, they could only come up with that kind of money. They have that respect, so why should we stoop lower than that? and use money which has never been permitted in this case and money that's not even permitted for the family of the Prophet right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides mashallah there are many masajid running without that so you have to be careful also when you would start working with a masjid and uh, because pe- some people have this idea that it's permissible you'll find in your donation box for a new masjid project or for a new masjid zakat right? you'll see that now, it's, it, it, you should contact the person and say, you know, we're not going to be able to use it in the new masjid because it's just not permissible. Because when a person donates and he specifies what he wants to donate for, you have to use it in that case. Unless, of course, he pays and he says, he specifies it for that reason and then he disappears. Now what do you do? You can't find that person. You cannot use it for masjid either. So now you would have to put it into the right direction, which is give it to one of the eight categories. فُرِضَتْ عَلَىٰ حُرٍ مُسْلِمٍ Now who is zakat fard on? 
who is zakat obligatory on? Number one, the person has to be a free Muslim, not a slave. Okay? Mukallafin, he has to be responsible, which means he has to be baligh, he has to be mature and not insane. He has to be sane, mature individual, you know, 15 year olds uh, and above. Malikin linisabin, he has to be the possessor of the nisab. I've already described to you what the nisab, the quantum, the minimum amount. Min naqdin tibran, whether it's of pure gold, he has, uh, you know, he has bricks or tablets of gold pieces, for example, or jewelry, a woman has jewelry, or aniyatin, or they have ornamental dishes and cups and things that are made of gold or silver, or the amount of money which is equal to that, about $130-$40. I'm not sure of the exact price of gold nowadays, but it's about that amount. For silver, gold is about $800, all right? Min urudi tijaratin, from the merchandise of trading. Now, how do you determine what is zakatable in your business? Merchandise. Merchandise, you have to give zakat on all such merchandise that is going to go out to the customer as the product or as part of the product. So if you're selling pens or cars, then the actual value of the car or the pens or the books. If you're manufacturing products, then whatever raw material that you'll be using to build the end product that will actually go out and be sold, then the value of that is zakatable. Fixed assets, light, fixtures, scales, machinery that you use to manufacture the product, this is not zakatable. The building is not zakatable. Alright? So only that which is going to actually be transferred over. So in a bakery business, for example, the flour, the butter, the eggs, sugar, and even the cake trays that will go out, you know, the disposable ones that you would actually provide the cakes in, that would also be zakatable. But not, for example, the mixtures and everything else that you use to manufacture them with. So that's merchandise. Now, let's look at a few issues here. If you're selling, if you have two or three homes or two or three cars which you rent out, as long as it's not for business merchandise where you're going to sell the houses, right? That's not your primary intention. You actually purchase the houses to rent them out. Then you don't worry about the value of the house you pay on the rent that you get from your cars or your homes. But if you actually purchase the house to sell it, or the car to sell, then you pay on the value of that. Sometimes you can have both intentions. I'm buying this, it's a good investment, I'm going to give it out on rent, I'm going to rent it out. But if I find a good buyer, eventually, after two or three years, if I find that when the price goes up, then I'll sell it. Now in this case, you would consider that it's for rent. Because that's the first thing you're doing. So you won't worry about the value. Minus debts. So all of this, when you bring it all together, when you bring your jewelry together, your cash together, your merchandise together, gold pieces, whatever you have, under the mattresses and floorboards, when you bring everything together, now you minus your debts. So whatever you owe, obviously receivables are also part of assets, okay? So receivables are also. Then you minus debts. So after you minus your debt, whatever you have needs to be more than the quantum nisab. If you have two million dollars but you're in debt for two and a half, you don't pay zakat. If you have two million you own, you possess, but you have one and a half million in debt, then quarter of a million is more than 125, 140 dollars, so you do pay zakat on that.
We'll talk about the Hawlanul Hawl, which is the year afterwards. If you've loaned money to somebody else, you have to pay zakat on that money. As long as the person doesn't reject, as long as it's possible for you to get back. For example, you gave someone money, they said they would give you back and then they started rejecting. They said, I don't owe you anything. And you lose hope completely. In that case, you don't have to pay zakat on that money until if you get it. Right? And when you get it. However, any money which you've given someone and they said they'll give you, they'll give you, they'll give you, they'll give you, right? You have to pay zakat on that every year. He doesn't have to pay zakat on that. So somebody has to pay. I believe in a Shafi school, both parties have to pay. You have to pay and he has to pay as well. People always ask this, oh, I've got you know, all these nice decorations in the home and I've got my own car, it's a nice car, do I have to pay zakat on that? You don't have to. Whatever is used for your personal needs, essential personal needs, you don't have to pay zakat on that. If you have three homes, they're not on rent, they're not for sale, they just, mashallah, you inherited them or you just purchased them for your sons when they grow up, right, to live next to you, you don't have to pay zakat on that. But if you, in terms of your cash, become stumped and you don't have any cash and your business goes down, but you've got three houses, you can't receive zakat because you've got assets which are valued at more than an isab above your, your essential needs. So it affects you in that case where you don't have to pay zakat. But you're not considered a recipient even though you have less cash because you could sell it off. See, the zakat is different from salat and everything. Salat is like a whole sequence of different things. Zakat is so many different concepts that you have to understand and then kind of bring the blocks together. Right? So this is always best done as a, as a workshop where you just explain all the concepts and then you bring them all together. The wealth that you have with you, for example, let's say somebody has a number of shoes. A woman likes her shoes. You don't have to pay zakat on them because you're not selling them, they're your personal. And the other point about shoes is that they're not going to increase in value, they're not an asset. Right? They're not a commodity. Bad example, sorry. But jewelry is different. If someone has jewelry, since jewelry is a commodity, it ha it's wealth. I mean, it's supposed to be the source of wealth, although now we don't know what is the source of the currency that we have. Right? It's detached now. Right? They don't even promise to pay the bearer anymore in America on the notes. I promise to pay the bearer, you don't find that on the notes. Gold and silver are considered to be commodities that are increasing and decreasing all the time, and mo most likely increasing in value, of value all the time. So now in the Hanafi school, whether you use your jewelry or not, whether you use it every day or you never use it, you use it once a year, you have to pay zakat on jewelry. In other madhahib, I know in the Hanbali madhahib for instance, and maybe in the Shafi, I'm not sure, women will before the year comes to an end, they will take out the jewelry from their treasure chests and they will wear it for one day so they're absorbed of the payment of zakat because they've used it. In Hanafi school, whether you use it or not, you have to pay zakat. This, the economical benefits of this is that hoarding wealth is not encouraged in Islam. Put it out there, let it work for you. That's what they say, you know, let your money work for you. That's what it's supposed to be. Hoarding wealth is not encouraged. So, saying that, fine, you can keep it with you, but you have to pay zakat on it. Maybe, if you've got $2,000 worth of jewelry, and you have to pay $50 of zakat, $50 of zakat on 2000 how many years will it take for you to have paid off the value? Or have paid off equal of the value of $2,000? 30 years? About 40 years. That encourages you to put your money out there, let it increase, and you pay zakat as well, but you have more. 
And the fact is it's permissible for women to have jewelry, but it's not something which is encouraged. It's permissible. Women like adornment. It's something in their nature to do. So it's permissible. It's not a permissible for men who want to be effeminate, right? Or look like, you know, a singer or something or whatever it is. But it's permissible and completely justified for women to have that, but it's not encouraged. If they give it away, they get a lot of reward. If they make sober of it, they'll get better in paradise. All of that is there, but they're, they're allowed to have it because that's just in their nature to do that. But they have to pay zakat in the Hanafi school on that. So that's what it means here, namin walaw taqdiran. Which means that it has the potential of, it either increases in value or it has the potential had it been out there in the market and you purchase something with it. Now you've understood these bare bones. When is it that you give zakat? How long is it that you have to have the money for? Is it every time you get over $150, immediately 2.5%, 2.5%? The amount of zakat that you have to pay, okay, is 140th. 140th, 1 over 40, which is 2.5%. In practical terms, $2.50 on every $100. $25 for $1,000. $250 for $10,000. And if you have $100,000, that's uh, $2,500. And a million dollars would be 25000 That's not much. It's not much at all. 2.5% is nothing. If you got to that 2 million level, a million level, you'll be paying 40%. No, 35%. What is the high bracket? 40%. That's nearly half of your wealth. Yeah, 40%. So, 2.5%. When do you pay and on what do you pay? Now, there's this thing called hawlanul hawl. That's why he says, وَوُجُوبِ أَدَائِهَا hawlanul hawl عَلَى النِّصَابِ الْأَصْلِ This is very difficult, but... Try to think back to the first time that you actually became owner of $150 that you didn't have to pay off immediately. You were not owing. If you, especially if you've come through school, then you know you had debts, so you had to pay fees and things of that nature and you're probably still in debt. Right? Some, some people are probably still in debt. So, it's when you had $150, your first $150 free of debt, yours to spend. Right? That's when your year begins. This concept of year. Okay, that's when your year begins. Islamic year. Let's say you finish school. MashaAllah, your, your father paid you through school, right, and everything. And then you started working and you got your first paycheck, $2,000. Now that's over $150. Your year starts here. Right? You paid off your debts and everything and you got $2,000 free of debt. You got $200, over $150. Your year begins on that. Let's say that was the first of Sha'ban. It works in Islamic years, right? So the next year on the first of Sha'ban, you have to see what you have. In this regard, you look at two things. One is that your wealth did not go down to zero or below zero throughout the year. If it did, your year, your year finished prematurely, and then you have to start again from when you got another $150 then a whole year went over it without going down to zero in the middle. So going down to zero counts, cancels out the beginning date. Let's say, mashallah, you did have more than always uh, zero in your account. It doesn't matter what happens in the middle, whether it goes up to a few thousand or it goes down to five. As long as it doesn't go down to zero, as long as you don't get into more debt than you possess of assets, then on the first of Sha'ban, the year after, as long as you have now the quantum as well, 
you have to have the quantum, you have the, to have the 140, 150 on both sides, on the start date and on the end date, and in the middle you shouldn't go down to zero. That's the condition. Now you have to pay zakat. How much do you pay? 2.5% of what? You pay 2.5%, you just have to look at that day, forget about what happened in the year. Forget about money coming in from different sources as well. You just have to look at that day, the year after, if you have more than the quantum of $140 or whatever it is, you now have to pay 2.5% of whatever you have on that day. That day you'll bring all your jewelry together, you'll bring all your assets, business, whatever it is, and you pay zakat on 2.5% on that day. This is better than in some other schools, it's actually easier than in some other schools where each different category of wealth coming in has to be calculated differently. So if you've got gold, then you look at the start of, uh, date of the possession of that, you've got salary coming in, you've got business coming in, or you've got... So all of that has to be calculated differently, so you have to be concerned about it all the time. This is very simple. Every year you look on that date as long as you didn't go down to zero. You know what some people do? And it's makru to do this. But it's technically valid, okay? But it's makru, tahrimi. The day before the year is going to be up, the father takes all of his assets, calls his son over or his wife over, and says, Dear wife, you've been a good wife to me, and I need to give you something. I sign over all my assets to you. So now his year comes the next day, he doesn't own anything, technically. He's tricking Allah. Technically he doesn't have to pay zakat, but Allah will show him. Right? The year comes after that, the wife calls the husband, you've been a beautiful husband to me. You know, you've, mashallah, you've done this for me and that to me, I give my wealth to you. And they do this every year. This is just pure stinginess. In the Hanafis, you can get away with that. But it's makru tahrimi. But technically it's valid because it's very fiqhi oriented. I don't believe this is permissible in the Shafi'i school. They say, no, 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 no. I think we've covered the basics. Let's look at a few other things and then we'll take some other questions. وَلَوْ عَجَّلَ ذُو نِصَابٍ لِسِنِينَ If someone wants to give zakat for a number of years, in advance, it's permissible, as long as you intend it. So I know that my income is going to be maybe, you know, this much every year, 20,000 or 30,000 every year. And I know at the end of the year I'm going to be left with 5,000 every year. So uh, I know that I'm going to have 5,000 on the day of my zakat. I can give zakat for the next five years from now. Alright? It's permissible. Then, you just have to check on it every year. If it was the amount that you had paid for. If it's less, no problem. If it's more, you just add that extra amount of zakat. If you've already given money to someone, let's say somebody came or you needed money, you gave them the money, now you think, hey, I should have intended that to be my zakat and paid off my zakat that way. Can you do that or not? You can do that as long as the poor person that you gave the money to has not spent it yet, if it's still in his hand. So you can call him up and say, you know that money I gave you, do you still have it? No, 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 I, I, I went out yesterday. Okay, alright, no problem. Why, why, why? No, it's okay. It's alright, don't worry about it. If he still has it, no, I haven't deposited the check yet, or whatever, then you can say, okay, fine, alhamdulillah. You can intend that to be your zakat. So before it's spent by the poor person. This is important to know. So this is basically intending zakat on what has already been given. Otherwise, if you've given thousands of dollars without the intention of zakat, and it's been spent, you can, that's nafil. That's, uh, op uh, that's uh, optional charity. The other way of doing it 
is if you're in a third world country where mashallah there's a lot of poor people that come around every day and you're giving them now each time you give them to intend zakat and calculate it is difficult so the other way to do it is you find out how much you owe you take out that amount you separate that amount you pull aside two hundred dollars of zakat or whatever it is in a special box and you've made your intention at that time now if the people in the home the children whatever give money from this to the poor people it will be considered from the zakat because that was specially allocated for zakat so that's also another way of doing it you don't have to have the, in the intention of doing it when you're actually paying you only have to do it when you're separating it so that's why he says وَشَرْتُ صِحَّةِ أَدَائِهَا نِيَّةٌ مُقَارَنَةٌ لِأَدَائِهَا لِلْفَقِيرِ أَوْ وَكِيرِهِ that the condition of that payment being valid as zakat is that you have to have an intention when giving it to either the poor person or to his agent now the question that comes up is you know these collection agencies not collection agencies that's uh, that, that means something else these relief organizations who are they the agents for are they your agents or are they the agents of the poor meaning are they the agents of the zakat giver or the recipient they're doing you a favor and finding the place for uh, finding the recipient which means that when you give your zakat to them it's not considered absolved yet until they give it because they're your agent it's just like you're trying to give it if they lose it you're still liable to pay zakat if I give my zakat money to my brother or someone and say you're going here go and give zakat to that person he loses it on the way I'm liable he's not liable because he was holding it as amana as just the trust right and he was doing me a favor he is not liable for losing it unless he purposely did something by which it was lost I have to still pay it's not absolved however if the poor person sent someone to collect the money and they lost it since he was their agent then it would be considered absolved on your behalf so remember that just touching on a qurbani issue there was a confusion about this during Eid al-Adha sometimes people organizations and people they take money from different people to do their qurbani for them and there was this whole question about whether they the organization needs to remember all the names and mention the name when slaughtering each animal as qurbani on behalf of the person they don't have to because they're like your agents if they got a hundred people's qurbanis to do they could literally slaughter a hundred animals and then intend that to be from the hundred people in general so that's permissible okay so that makes matters much easier the one issue that we want to deal with here is that nowadays when there's a system of great debt that everybody's in debt but they'll be driving nice cars they'll be living in a nice home but they'll be debt they'll be in debt so does that person have to pay zakat technically speaking if their debts are more than what they own even though they mashallah have a lavish lifestyle they don't have to pay zakat technically speaking however many of the muftis are now looking at different rulings in this case and some have gone to the a very strict approach which is that any long-term debt forget about it long-term debts which is not necessary for you to pay immediately forget about that so only take into consideration as debt your payment for that month that you have to pay and you minus that from the assets that you hold right now and you pay zakat according to that so you're not going to minus all of your debt you're only going to minus the payment that is due and they say that's necessary however the moderate opinion although technically it's not necessary but they should give because of their circumstance that they're able to enjoy life 
as they want. They don't have to cut corners. And if they did cut corners, they would actually be able to pay off their debt quickly. But they choose not to. They choose to enjoy life, they think, and pay off 20 years. So they should minus just the one payment, and they should pay zakat, and they should perform hajj and everything else. It's only makru or impermissible to go on hajj in debt when you're going to be delaying debt unnecessarily. When somebody needs his money, you don't give it to him, you have it, and you're just going on, on hajj, on the pilgrimage. However, if they want you to take your time, right anyway, because they get more money that way, then you should go for hajj, and you should try to get out of your debt very quickly, and you should pay zakat on that. So that's another issue. Because the poor need to live and you're, mashallah, spending good amounts of money and you have a lot of money in the bank, you, you're just paying the basic two, three thousand dollars a month that you're paying. So I hope this gave a, a basic understanding of the fundamentals. What we've got left that is still important is three categories of debt. One is business debt, which is the strongest of debt, which you have to consider as an asset. Business receivable, loans. They're considered strong loan that is going to come. The other is when you've sold personal items or you have a debt which they will promise to pay you back and then there's a third kind of debt which they reject and they don't want to pay you. Or there's money that is supposed to come to you but it wasn't based on any transaction. For example, the wife's dowry, right, which is not based on any business transaction. So these are all different kinds of debt. Do they have to pay zakat or not? On some of them you have to pay every year whether you have that money or not, whether you received it or not. On some of them you pay after you receive it, but for all the years that have passed. And the third type is where you only pay for it after you get it for the next year. And you forget about the previous years. So that remains. And there's a few other issues that remain here. We probably don't need to go into zakat of animals. There's a special way of doing it that if you get to so many cows, then the minimum is so many cows, the minimum of so many goats before you actually have to pay zakat. And each animal is different. And then when you get to so many, then you have to pay this age cow or this age goat. It's, it's kind of very difficult.